Greetings to all of you on this uh, Family Day weekend. I want to welcome all of us at Center Street Church, those joining us from our other campuses as well as uh, our online audience as well. Uh, this weekend we are continuing our sermon series, Unshakable. No one will deny we are living in challenging times. Everything around us seems to be so unsettled. Many are rattled by the events of the last few days in our own country. Our generation is living in perilous times. Yet in the midst of all that is happening outside, as God's people, we can be unshakable. Look at history. The people of God have always overcome all kinds of oppositions with God's help. Our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is unchanging. His kingdom is unshakable. And Jesus is well able to sustain all those who belong to him. So in the series, we're talking about the various areas of our spiritual lives we are called to be unshakable. And so far we've looked at unshakable confidence and unshakable convictions. And today I want to focus on unshakable faith. In our day and age, when we're seeing the rise of radical pluralism, aggressive forms of secularism, polarization in the political world, divisions and disunity, revision in sexual ethics, how do we remain unshakable when we're facing such sustained oppositions? Or to overcome oppositions and forces that are rallying against God's kingdom, we need unshakable faith. Ephesians chapter 6 describes the weapons we use in spiritual warfare, and it refers to faith as a shield with which we extinguish the flaming arrows of the enemy. Faith serves as a divine fire extinguisher to counter the enemy's attack. So this Family Day weekend, I want to talk to us about how authentic faith is formed the influences that God uses to shape our faith, those processes by which we are being chiseled in the rough edges of our life and how we are being transformed by the Spirit into authentic Christians. We will do so by looking at the life of an individual who had such authentic faith. And writing to his uh, disciple Timothy, the Apostle Paul talks about the influences that shaped Timothy's faith. And those very influences continue to shape our faith as well today. So our text is from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 to 7. And if you're physically able, I'll ask you to stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 to 7. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did, with a clear conscience, as night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you, to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you 
through the laying on of my hands. For the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. May the Lord add His blessing to the reading of His Word. You all may be seated. There's a story that comes from the life of Elvis Presley. They say he went to a restaurant where an Elvis lookalike contest was taking place. So the real Elvis was in the lookalike contest where there are so many impersonators. So even though he was in public, no one guessed that the real Elvis Presley was in their midst. Apparently, he even went up on stage and performed. So he sang the song, Love Me Tender, in front of the entire audience, received a polite applause, and ended up third place in the lookalike contest. You know, if this indeed happened, isn't it ironic that uh, the real celebrity doesn't get the top prize in a lookalike contest? Now, even in the Christian world, there are many impersonators and lookalikes, many who can put on a show. And it gets confusing. Who is the real deal and who is faking it? So the need of the hour is for authentic Christians who live lives in such a way that they are personifying their beliefs. You know, such Christians stand out for the right reasons. They are noticeable. There is something remarkable that sets them apart in the community. It is evident in the way they speak, the way they interact with one another, in the way they pray. And wherever they go, they leave a positive mark. They are, as Jesus said, light in a dark world. And all of this is largely due, due to their faith. Their faith in Jesus shines brightly because it is an authentic faith. Now, such faith is needed, especially in times like this when we are facing such oppositions against our beliefs. A Timothy was such a person with an unshakable faith. The Apostle Paul commends Timothy in the verses we read for his sincere faith. The word therefore sincere can be translated authentic or genuine. There was nothing hypocritical about Timothy's faith. He was not putting on a show. This is a person who has been genuinely touched by God and has a vibrant relationship with Jesus. Now keep in mind, Timothy was not perfect. In fact, as you read the epistle, you will know that he had many weaknesses. He's shy and introverted. He lacks confidence. He's feeling overwhelmed by the many responsibilities on his shoulders. His health is poor. And despite the many weaknesses, Timothy had a genuine faith. Now, our weaknesses don't necessarily disqualify us from God's service, provided we have a sincere, authentic, life-transforming faith in Jesus. So Timothy, with his many weaknesses, still possessed a genuine faith Credible as it can get. In the text that we read, the Apostle Paul talks about the influences that served to form and shape Timothy's faith. And these influences continue to shape our faith today. So here's the first influence pointed very clearly in our text. The biological family. 
Look at verse 5. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded, now lives in you also. Timothy clearly inherited this faith from his grandmother and his mother Eunice. So from grandmother to mother to son, three generations faithfully following the Lord. Faith has been passed on from one generation to the next within the family. Timothy saw the authentic faith in his grandmother and his mother, and he said, they are the real deal. I want this for myself. See, it is hard to resist an authentic faith. It is contagious. So the faith that resided in Lois and Eunice now took residence in Timothy. Now that is a powerful word picture. Faith taking residence in a person's heart. So this faith of the grandmother and mother has found a way into Timothy's heart. It became personal, deep, and permanent. This is not a fleeting, wavering faith. This is a, a rock-solid, unshakable faith that has become a prized possession of Timothy and three generations in his family. And that is an example of a godly heritage and how that serves to shape and mold our faith. The book of Acts gives us a glimpse of how the apostle Paul met Timothy and his family. This happened right after the division between Paul and Barnabas over John Mark, who had proven to be unfaithful. So Paul is not happy with the situation, so decides to part company and go his own way. And right after this, we find in Acts chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. So Timothy's mother was Jewish and had then placed her faith in Jesus Christ, is now a believer. The father was Greek. Now it is possible that Timothy's grandmother and mother had come to faith in Christ through Paul's ministry the last time he was in Lystra a number of years ago. It appears that Timothy's father is not a Christian, but his mother and grandmother have had a, an impact, a remarkable impact in the shaping of Timothy's faith. So much so that the apostle Paul is impressed by this young man, is convinced of his genuine faith, and he recruits him to be his associate. And how did Timothy turn into such an impressive young person of faith? So much so that Paul himself is amazed at the qualities that Timothy has. It is because of two godly women in his life, his grandmother and mother. And later in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, Paul writes, But as for you, Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So Timothy from infancy was introduced to the Bible through whom? Through a godly grandmother 
and mother investing in his life, teaching him the word of God, and it later bears fruit in Timothy's life. Now, when you're raised in a home that is distinguished by a commitment to the Bible and a love for Jesus, it leaves an indelible mark upon your life. You may go through seasons in your life where you are living in disobedience or rebellion, but the truth that you learned from your childhood keeps convicting you. That is the blessing of being raised in a godly environment. Pastor Tony Evans points out, the family unit is God's first and foundational institution for the transfer of faith. The family unit is the first and foundational institution for the transfer of faith. If God has entrusted you with kids, what is your primary responsibility as a Christian parent? Parents want kids to be happy, to be successful, to offer them education and a great career. As important as these things are, the fundamental task of Christian parents is to pass on our faith. The baton of the gospel needs to be handed over from one generation to another, and that is a non-negotiable. So it is important also to keep in mind, we don't automatically inherit this faith just because we are raised in a Christian home. It has to be through a conscious, prayerful, intentional process of transfer. Our five-year-old daughter told me the other day, Dada, everyone in church thinks I look like you. I wish she had said that with some excitement. Instead, they see more like words of regret. So I told her the next time someone says, you look like your dad, well, the right response is, praise the Lord. <laughs> now, we don't do anything to pass on our facial re resemblance or skin color or bodily features to our children. Through genetics, these things happen naturally. But passing on our Christian faith doesn't work that way. It doesn't happen automatically. The Bible says we have to impress our faith on our children, to talk about matters of faith when you're at home or on the road, when you're going to bed or you're getting up. So it's making it a lifestyle. And a Christian home can be the most formative place in a child's faith. In the early stages of their life, they are given a right foundation, a solid foundation that will last a lifetime. A Barna Group survey called Households of Faith pointed out the primary spiritual influence in the life of a teenager. Do you know who's on the top of that list? Here's the primary spiritual influence in the life of a teenager. It's not the church. It's not the youth pastor. It's not friends or peers. But the most potent spiritual influence in the life of a teenager, according to the study, is the mom. Moms have powerful impact in the shaping of their children's faith. Add to the fact that they serve as confidants and the go-to person for advice in all kinds of situations. 
you know, this family day weekend, I want to affirm the moms in our congregation. For you have a God-given responsibility. You play a pertinent role in shaping your kids' faith. Read Christian history. Some of the giants of our faith attribute everything to the godly shaping influence of a mother. And the same God is well able to use you to impress your faith on your kids. And I tell you, it doesn't have to stop when they turn 18. You can be a spiritual influence even in the life of your grown-up kids. Now, according to the same study, Households of Faith by Barna Group, next to the mom, the two most important influences in the teenager's faith are dads and grandparents. Moms, dads, grandparents, the biological family plays a crucial role in forming our children's faith. There are many ways we as a biological family shape our children's faith. And it is not always through organized activities, but through informal conversations. We must learn to integrate our faith into all aspects of family life. Use several touch points as teaching moments in the lives of our children. I want to highlight one of the crucial ways we as a biological family can shape our kids' faith. Christianity Today had a recent article where they pointed out something that was an eye-opener to me. Uh, this article, based on a Harvard study, stated, more than faith-based education, more than sending your kids to Christian schools, taking kids to church impacts a child's faith formation. Did you hear that? Going to church is probably the most beneficial thing you can do to form your kid's faith. See, there's something about a family that gets ready on a weekend to drive to church. And that has an impact on our children. It serves as a reminder to them how important church and faith is to our family. We can do a hundred different things on a weekend, but when we determine to come to church every weekend as a discipline, we are saying to our children, this is not an option, this is a priority to our family life. And there's something about this very experience of gathering as the people of God to worship and celebrate and hear the teaching of God's word that has a powerful impact on your children's faith. You know, the pandemic has taken many things away from us. And one of the things it has robbed us is this privilege of being able to come together in corporate worship. Watching online has been a great blessing for a season and will continue to serve a purpose for a group of people who need to be careful because of their health condition. But for the vast majority of us, I believe coming to in-person worship services is no longer optional, but it is foundational to our Christian faith. Yeah. 
So if you lost that habit, it's time to pick it up again and make it a distinct priority in your life. It has a huge impact on your faith and on the faith of your children. Timothy's authentic faith could be attributed to his grandmother and mother and how he has come to know Jesus through their godly influence. So Christian parents, grandparents, and biological family members have a major role to play in the transfer of faith to the next generation. Now let me speak briefly to two categories of people before we move to the next point in our text. There are some parents here, you feel like you blew it, that when you were raising your kids, maybe you didn't have a, a strong relationship with Jesus. And now your kids are grown up and you feel guilty for not teaching them the ways of God. And I want to tell you, there's nothing that we can do to change the past. But if you still have the opportunity, start now. It is never too late. Our God is a God of redemption. He can make up for our failures. So aspire now to be a blessing to your children, no matter how old they are, starting with showing love in practical ways, intentionally demonstrating you care for them. And then it will lead to opportunities for being a spiritual influence in their life as well. The second group of people I want to speak to are those who raised your kids in a Christian home and you gave them the right foundation and now they have walked away from the faith. And you're sitting here wondering, what did I do wrong? Why are my kids not following Jesus? It's a problem that we see very often in the church. And I want you to know, this is not your fault. You've done your part in giving the right foundation to your kids. Your investment in their life of teaching them the scripture and the ways of Jesus will not go in vain. God is well able to use it at some point in their life to bring back to memory what they've learned when they were children and Bring them back to their roots. See, that is the God we serve. So let's not lose heart, but be assured that our God is a covenant-keeping God. So let's place our confidence and trust in Him that the same grace that has reached out to us can reach out to our kids wherever they are in their life journey. The passage points to a second influence in Timothy's life, informing his faith. And it is the spiritual family. The biological family is one of the spiritual influences in the formation of our faith, but not the only influence. I did not grow up in a Christian home. I did not have a biological family modeling the faith for me. I'm the first in my entire family lineage to become a Christ follower. And when I became a Christian, the Lord gave me a promise that I've held on to even until today. It's from Mark chapter 10, verses 29 and 30. It says, truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left 
home, our brothers, our sisters, our mother, our father, our children, our fields, for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions and the age to come, eternal life. As I look at my life, I can testify to you today, God has been faithful to this promise. In various seasons of my life, starting from when I was a new Christian to where I am now, the Lord always brought spiritual family members who've been a blessing and who have filled the void in my life. And even today, my wife and I, we don't have parents and siblings living here in Canada with us. But we have many brothers and sisters in Christ who have gone out of their way to be a blessing to our family. And for that, we are so grateful. Now, whether we have a godly biological family or not. We all need the help and support of a spiritual family. God does not want any of us to live our Christian lives in isolation. So who are you walking this journey with? Even here in our text, we see the emphasis on spiritual family through the relationship Paul and Timothy share. The text demonstrates the closeness of the spiritual family, the bonding that we share in Christ that sometimes makes us even closer than a biological family. Here's what Paul writes in the opening words of this book of 2 Timothy, verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, I told you earlier, Timothy didn't have a Christian dad, didn't have a biological father of faith. So Paul filled in his shoes, took that place of influence to be the spiritual dad in Timothy's life. Some of you may not be biological dads, but that shouldn't keep you from being a spiritual dad and nurture the next generation. Because there is another pandemic out there, a bigger pandemic of a fatherless society that has huge repercussions. Time and again, we are seeing the catastrophic influence of kids growing up in a home where the dad is absent. So it is critical for Christian men and women to be that spiritual parent in the lives of people so we can be a mentor to them and help them in the formation of their faith. Paul writes in verse 3 of our text, I thank God whom I serve, as my ancestors did, with a clear conscience, as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. So Paul is saying he prays often for Timothy because he is really careful about Timothy's well-being wants the very best for him, wants to be the well-wisher in his life. So he expresses that love and care by constantly interceding and praying for Timothy, his spiritual son. The very next verse, he, Paul writes, recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. You know, there must have been a, a tearful farewell that we are not aware of. Paul and Timothy parted company for a while, and 
And now Paul is indicating his real desire to see Timothy once again in person. Just another indicator of the depth of intimacy in a spiritual relationship. Who said the spiritual family cannot have strong bonds of love and friendship? And Paul had a remarkable impact in molding Timothy's faith. So he keeps urging Timothy, follow me in my steps. That's a call to discipleship. Follow in my steps as I follow Jesus. See, if there's anything this pandemic has shown us over the last two years, it is that isolation is not good for any of us. A living life alone leads to depression and all kinds of social problems. We need the help and support of each other. That is the way God has wired us. So as COVID restrictions get removed, I hope and I pray that our community groups and missional groups will all resume meeting in homes. This is a huge part of our spiritual life and growth. We cannot set aside these spiritual disciplines because they have a deep impact on the formation of our faith. So we need to be in fellowship with one another. That is God's ideal. So let's start meeting together as spiritual families. And if you have not found a spiritual family, or if you are fairly new to our church, we have a great opportunity called Taste and See, an eight-week experience in community. If you go to our church website and click the link, join a group, you will have more information about Taste and See. If you're here at Central Campus, please speak to somebody in the atrium at the Connect table, and they will give you more information about how you can be part of it. If you're watching from one of our campuses, you can speak to your campus pastor about how you can experience a Taste and See group. So we have biological family, we have the spiritual family, all having a, a shaping influence in our life. And then, thirdly, we have or we need personal disciplines that also have a formative effect on our faith. Now, I've highlighted the importance of one generation passing the gospel to the next. It's important to emphasize that just as one generation has to do everything in its power to pass the baton of the gospel, in the same way, the next generation has to do everything in their part to receive the baton of the gospel. It is a mutual responsibility. So in this letter, Paul is calling Timothy to rise up, to step up to the occasion. And Paul is writing his final letter. He's languishing in a cold Roman prison, waiting to be executed any moment. And as Paul would have looked around, he would have seen the dangers that the early church were facing. False teachers abounded in the early church, wanting to destroy this fledgling movement. Persecution by the Roman Empire was on the rise. They were ramping it up. Talk about onslaughts and oppositions. The early church faced daunting challenges. It was intimidating and humanly speaking, they saw no future ahead of them. 
In light of all of those circumstances, it was so easy to just cave in to the overwhelming circumstances and just lose your heart. Paul is writing to Timothy, who was facing such hostility, a heated battle. He's facing such odds as a a young spiritual leader. By personality, Timothy was timid, was easily overwhelmed, physically weak. He's just a young person with no experience. And Paul is urging Timothy to be not passive. He's charging him and commissioning him with the immense responsibility of taking on the work of the ministry and preach the gospel. In verse 6 of our text, Paul writes, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Timothy may have a, a godly heritage, an incredible spiritual mentor in Paul. He even had a gift of the Holy Spirit. But add to all of that, he needed self-discipline for this to work. Because it was easy for the flame to die. Fire does not automatically stay alight. The flame tends to die out. It needs to be nurtured, stirred up, rekindled. And that was Timothy's responsibility. See, the work of the Holy Spirit in our life is not automatic. We have a personal responsibility in cooperating with the Holy Spirit in the work that he wants to do in our life. So Paul urges Timothy, fan into flame. A strong, authentic faith is never lukewarm. We are called to be on fire, burn with a red-hot passion for Jesus and the desire to live for him alone. And verse 7, Paul writes, For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. That last word, self-discipline, once again, places the onus on Timothy. He had an equal responsibility in this work of spiritual formation in partnering with God. See, in our day today, we always look for shortcuts and instant results. But there are no shortcuts when it comes to the spiritual life. Self-discipline is needed for us to have those daily routines of life as we consistently, persistently follow the Lord in all areas. Church history tells us Timothy received this charge from Paul. He took on the mantle and played a vital role in the early church. Timothy pastored the church at Ephesus for many years. This young man grew up to be an influential spiritual leader. He continued on in ministry long after Paul was gone. We find this in the Christian classic, Fox's Book of Martyrs, about Timothy's own martyrdom. As an older man, Timothy witnessed a pagan Roman celebration. He was so convicted that he confronted the people in that celebration for worshiping idols and shared the gospel with them. And they were so mad that they beat Timothy mercilessly with clubs. And two days later, he passed away. This timid, 
shy young person in whose life Paul invested had been radically transformed. He courageously confronted evil, even at the price of his own life. That is unshakable faith. That's what sustains us even in times like this when our circumstances seem to be so challenging. You know, there's a family in our church I admire deeply. I admire them for their servant heart, the way which they serve, and how well they have passed on the baton of the gospel from one generation to next. So I want us to watch a video in which a member of this family, a young lady named Masara, talks about her faith, the influence of the parents in shaping of her faith and how it became personal to her. So let's watch this video. Hello, my name is Masara, and um, I was actually born in Iraq to parents who were Christians, which was a minority in that part of the world. And my parents made the great sacrifice to decide to leave Iraq with nothing more than the clothes on their back. But they had their faith in God, and that carried them through. Don't get me wrong, the story wasn't easy, and it was filled with journeys of climbing mountains, going over rapids, staying in the wilderness overnight, and even having the threat of having their children taken away from them. But when my parents tell me this story, what I see is not them telling me what they did, but telling me what God did and how much He did to protect us. And when my younger sister was born, they actually named her Malak, which in Arabic translates to angel because they believed that the angel of the Lord protected them throughout their entire journey. And that to me as a young girl was faith that was alive and I could see it. And I can't explain to you just how beautiful that was to have that example in my life. I owe a great deal of thanks to my mom a lot. She also sacrificed quite a bit when we were young and she chose that instead of bringing us to an Arabic church where they didn't have a children's program, to bring us to an English church where they did. You know, as an immigrant girl coming into a predominantly white church and seeing them love on us and just take care of us and live out Christ. When people talk about faith, like the ones that always stand out to me is when it's alive and you can see it and, and it's not something that they just say, but they live it out. And, when they lived that out in my life and the way they treasured my family and it just got me to thinking that there is something special about this God that I love. You know, if I can be honest, um, <sighs> a number of years ago, I thought I had lost my faith and all hope. And I couldn't hear God, I couldn't see God, I couldn't feel Him. I would just sit in my room and cry out to Him and just wait for Him. And it took a lot of those moments of me just sitting and crying out to Him. But then I realized He was there all along. 
began to pour out his love on me anew, and I fell in love with him all over again. And I realized just how much he did, and that my faith wasn't in me and what I could do and what I did or didn't do. It was ultimately in him. He's the anchor of my faith. He's the only reason I have faith. And when you learn to love him, all these other things become secondary and you want to spend time with him. And you'll want to. And you know, the, the cry of my heart is that one thing I desire of the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and seek him in his temple. It's not about me, it's about him. It's not even about my story or my faith, it's all about him. And I guess if you remember anything, it would just be to love him, because he loves you first. And that's what makes faith unshakable. Oh, what a powerful story. Now, at the end of the day, passing the faith from one generation to another is not about parenting techniques or strategies. All of those things woefully fall short. You ask any godly family, how is it that you've been able to pass on the faith to the next generation? I doubt if they will ever take any credit for it but they would call it the Lord's blessing. And that's what we need more than anything else. Showers of blessing, the favor of God upon our lives, upon our family, upon the next generation, upon our whole nation. We need His presence desperately to go before us and guide us so we can stand unshakable in the midst of all the daunting oppositions.